And now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to the Rainbow Coloured Shout Out Radio. I'm Ali Shorten. And I'm Steffi Barnett in today's packed show. Hideo bring us up to date with their My Five. Rose chats to Janet Mason on their illustrious career. And Queer Story returns with our history, LGBTQIA history that is. Uh, all coming today, right here on Shout Out. Hello, it's back. I was getting bored of the other one and I, I didn't have a chance to find anything, so we're, we're back to the original backing track for now. But anyway, hello Nothing everyone. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no. I was just saying, hello, it's a nice walking track. It nice sounds walking like it's track. walking. Yeah, it sounds like you're walking. Oh, I get it, I get it. It reminds me of someone. One, two, one, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it reminds walking, me of the film. Family Guy episode where he's got someone walking along behind him with a trombone. Going, dum, du, 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 du. <laughs> oh, I, I haven't seen that episode. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I quite, I, I quite like it because it's got a nice rhythm to it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, really, really packed show. So we haven't got time to hang around at all in this show. But um, um, before we go any further, we have got some, uh, well, not worrying, upsetting, breaking news um, that Matthew will go into a bit more in detail. But we're ever so sorry to say Bristol Pride has been cancelled this year. Um, and we're absolutely devastated because we were so looking forward to um, broadcasting, weren't we, team? But um, yeah. Um, yeah, COVID and all that. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let Matthew fill you in a little bit more later on in the news. In the meantime, though, uh, let's catch up with Hedaya. My five on shout out. Dear shout out radio listeners, my name is Osman. My pronouns are he, him, and I identify as a gay Muslim man. I volunteer for an organisation called Hedaya. Our mission is to provide support and promote social justice, education around the queer Muslim community to counter discrimination, prejudice and injustice. This month, many people will celebrate Pride Month. The rainbow flag in the 80s and 90s, the flag was once a symbol to LGBTQ plus people that the person, business or organisation flying it was queer friendly. I use the word queer to encompass all the members of the LGBT community. Seeing the flag instantly identified the place or person as queer friendly and welcoming. For many of us, it was an oasis of tranquility for those of us struggling to fit in a cisgendered, heteronormative world. As with any national or regional flag, the rainbow flag was intended for us to unite the rainbow people. It comprised our own nation where we all had a place and belonged, at least in theory. These days, the rainbow flag has been co-opted and commercialised by huge corporations and businesses who want to grab the attention with larger sums of discretionary income of queer people. Many of these corporation businesses do not contribute in any way to the LGBTQ plus community and sometimes they even secretly lobby against us. They could care less if we have full equality and inclusion. They don't see or appreciate the sacredness of the flag. Due to current status quo, the younger generation queer folks don't always appreciate or even understand the symbolism behind the flag or even know that it was changed to be more inclusive by adding black and brown stripes for people of colour. 
yes, male-dominated racism was and still is a problem in our community, and that is why it's so important for us to use the newest version of the flag where everyone truly is included. As it is Pride Month, it's important to remember and acknowledge all the members of the community on the shoulders of whom we stand. We need to know the stories of the first out gay member of Scottish Parliament, Ian Smith, the first out lesbian Prime Minister of Iceland. We must celebrate artists such as black artist Jean-Michel Basquiat, Gauri Savant, trans activist from India, and every queer person should know the names of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera who started the Stonewall Riots and gave us our annual Pride Marches. They're not parades. Also, let's take a more critical look at the hypocrisy when it comes to the UK flying the rainbow flag as its embassies and consulates around the world, all the while homosexual activity remains a criminal offence in 35 of the 54 sovereign states of the Commonwealth. My perspective as a queer Muslim is very personal and I can only speak for myself and my place within the greater LGBT community. Everyone will have a different story. But I will say one issue that is very particular to queer Muslims and that we are not quite welcomed by the greater queer community because many of our members have been hurt and traumatised by organised religion, especially if you're a Muslim of colour. We're also often rejected by our religious communities and mosques for being authentically queer. We do not have to choose between our sexuality or gender presentation and our faith we can coexist peacefully. We need to educate the general public, not just that the LGBTQ plus community about the rainbow flag. We need to make them understand the sacredness of it and we need to reclaim that. Otherwise, it means nothing. Based on the collective experiences, the LGBTQ pride prior to and during the global COVID-19 pandemic, I feel very hopeful for the queer Muslim community and other marginalized groups within the greater community. Pride marches around the world have started to become gentrified prior to 2020. It was no longer a protest and was more of a celebration. However, as one of the founders of Stonewall Riots, Marsha P. Johnson said, no pride for some of us without liberation for all of us. The global pandemic forced to us to find ways to celebrate pride along with tackling other issues in new ways. I think the LGBTQ pride is evolving and technology is helping us to integrate both parts of the pride season protest and celebration. Now we're able to live stream Pride to Muslims all over the world, we can congregate and work on actions and create support groups in the Middle East, Central Asia, South Asia, with members from Europe, North Africa and Australasia. We are seeing the colorization, integration and visibility of BIPOC of online participants from around the world. And we're hearing the voices, we're mourning the losses and we're fighting and supporting them. COVID brought us all together as queer Muslims and it has allowed us to congregate in safe places. Virtual Pride celebrations are not only going to be more diverse and inclusive as time passes, but we'll be able to fight and lift up community members who are not able to physically do so, and it is the right path. There'll be no issues with expenses excluding people, no issues of ableism. There can be breakout rooms during Pride Month for each specific community, queer Muslims being one of them, and we'll be able to create one great online global queer Muslim movement. This pandemic made us think outside the box and we weren't even aware that we were in a box. The future of the LGBTQ Muslim is very bright and hopeful from these online celebrations. We will be able to effectively and efficiently be able to create and mobilize real change where all our participants can sign in. Thank you so much for listening. If you have a story you could tell in five minutes, get in contact. Visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt.
shout-out. LGBT Radio for you. The Shout-Out Podcast. That's uh, Kyra Errol there with uh, Liquid Lunch. That's kind of like a walking one too, isn't it? So... <laughs> It is, it's got my speak to it. Yeah, that makes you bop along, doesn't it? Yeah. So I was really annoyed. She was in Bristol a few years ago and performed, and I completely missed that she was going to be here. Um, else I would have bought tickets. Apparently she's actually brilliant when she performs live. So I guess it depends if she's, it's your type of music, but I absolutely love it. So, I can see all your heads bopping along with it. <laughs> I was going to say, it, it, it just reminds me of sort of um, like sort of the jazz dancing things like that. Sort of. Yeah, it's a bit kind of jazzy, yeah. 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 Anyway, it kind of like summary too, you know. I mean, yes. uh, we're due a thunderstorm uh, any minute, I'm sure. But um, yeah. Anyway, Matthew, are you ready with some news headlines for us? I am indeed. Marvellous. You're a star. <laughs> This is Shoutout News on Thursday the 17th of June. The organisers of Bristol Pride have had to postpone this year's parade march and pride gathering. The event had been scheduled for the 10th of July. The festival director, Eve Russell, has issued a statement regarding the decision. She said, following the government announcement to delay the roadmap, we have met with Public Health, Bristol City Council and Avon and Somerset Police to discuss the feasibility of all parts of these events. We had robustly planned all our events to ensure go-ahead and the rule had the rules not relaxed but sadly, with COVID-19 cases rising significantly in Bristol, particularly among young people, it just won't be possible to deliver the day in a way that is safe this time. Hungary's ruling Nationalist Party has passed a new law which bans content it sees as promoting homosexuality and gender change to under-18s. It comes as Viktor Orban's party in- continues to intensify its campaign against LGBT plus rights. Education, content, TV shows and advertising are all affected by the ban if they are deemed to target under-18s. The country's National Assembly passed the legislation by 157 votes to 1, ignoring a last-minute plea by one of Europe's leading human rights officials to abandon the plan, which has been described by some as an affront against the rights and identities of LGBTI persons. The Hungarian chapter of Amnesty International has described the passing of the law as a dark day for LGBTI rights and for Hungary. Now, it's Pride Month and you may have noticed a number of companies, particularly in the US, advertising their support for the LGBTQ plus community. However, a new study has found that 25 companies, otherwise eager to wave the rainbow flag, have donated more than $10 million to anti-LGBTQ plus federal and state politicians during the past two years. The study was conducted by the Popular Information Newsletter. In it, they found that alongside pronouncements of support for LGBTQ people, corporations including CVS, AT&T, Walmart and Comcast have supported candidates who seek to block or otherwise restrict equal rights based on gender or sexual orientation. Many of the companies have 100% ratings on the Human Rights Campaign 2020 Corporate Equality Index, which measures the workplace policies and public commitment to the LGBTQ community. However, the index does not take political donations into account. 
Tributes are being paid to the leading Scots LGBT plus campaigner Lise Lawrence, who has passed away. She was aged 39. Her body was found by police last week. The tireless advocate had campaigned for the equal rights of minorities, particularly the trans community, as a key member of the Scottish National Party's official LGBT plus wing, Out for Independence. She was also a journalist who'd worked for the BBC as a producer and created a number of films documenting the lives of queer people. In a statement earlier this week, Out for Independence described Lawrence as a force of nature and said the group was heartbroken. For these news stories and much more, you can visit our website at shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shoutout News, this is Matthew Tosh. Shoutout News. National and international LGBT news for you. Shout out LGBT radio for you. The shout out podcast. <laughs> uh, the lovely Kylie Minogue there and uh, spinning around. Well, you got a mouthful of pizza. Is this the point where I was supposed to talk to you and really embarrass you live on air? Joys of joys joys of uh, doing the show from home. Of course, you can, you can be like Mr. Tosh and secretly eat a bit of pizza because it's your own studio. You're not allowed to do that. You see, when when we're not no. in COVID times in the studio. <laughs> no, we've got we've all got to be very well behaved. No food and drink in the studio when we're actually in a proper radio studio. Hey, I, I'll have you know this is a proper radio. studio. Well, it certainly suffice for the last year anyway, isn't it? Uh, true, true. <laughs> our, our home studios. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, anyway, now, now, talking of that, um, I will actually caveat this with an apology because um, um, our next piece is wonderful, really good, and it's really nice to get to talk to um, um, Janet. But um, the quality of it has suffered a little bit as a result of um, um, uh, kit and COVID and the like. But um, it's so good, we thought that we carry on and broadcast it for you. Anyway, uh, this is uh, the lovely Rose uh, catching up with Janet Mason. Hello, and I am joined today by the wonderful Jeanette Mason, the sought-after musician, arranger, producer, writer, etc., etc., who is currently the MD or musical director of the Hideaway in London. Um, Hideaway is that is that a jazz club actually, Jeanette? Is that a um, well? It's been going now for about uh, ten years, I would say, um, but it's all across the board, all kinds of music. But primarily, it started out as a jazz club, then became more soul orientated um, and I started working there about eight years ago okay wow I mean um, I was I was going to actually just kick off actually and just start and ask you um, firstly how, how has the hideaway and and you as, a, as an artist really sort of been affected by the pandemic you know because of the lack of sort of live music etc well, if I say I haven't uh, done a live gig now for 14 months, that's uh, it's wow. had a huge impact on uh, on my uh, c- career. Well, not my career really, because I'm I'm always got something going on in the background. But um, yeah, I haven't haven't played live now for a long time. But you know, hopefully things seem to be moving in the right direction. I've got a couple of gigs in the book now, so I'm looking forward to getting back out there. I'm just going to ask if you've been involved in any sort of Zoom, um, you know, gigs, as it were, or those kind of live stream gigs that have been sort of starting happening as well. Uh, no, I did. I just decided early on not to really get involved in that. I thought I'd just focus on some other things because, in a way, although Zoom's great, 
um, you know, you're you're reliant on internet and not sure what the sound quality is going out. And that's one of my main things has been I'm really a stickler for how things sound. And um, yeah, you know, sure. when, I, when I produce, <laughs> yeah, there's a, when I produce, I really like to go for the best quality sound. So I just thought I, I'm not sure that I can produce things as well as I'd like to. So I decided I wouldn't. I wouldn't go down that route. But I've been doing some Zoom Zoom parties, which has been kind of getting yes. together with uh, friends and uh, fans of the stuff that I do, and just trying to keep a connection in that way. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's been a, it's been a, an interesting journey for anyone. I myself am in live events, and it's uh, yeah, it's been an interesting journey, let's say. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to sort of dial it back a bit before we sort of t- start talking about your current projects. Um, you've got a massive portfolio um, of of your, you know, collaborations, your, t- your TV, your film work, you know, arranging. Um, but I just want to sort of dial you right back to the beginning and um, mm. just kind of ask you how, how you started out, really, as a, as a musician. Oh. Well, my, my parents were both musicians. In fact, I was brought up on a, in a holiday camp in Hastings where my mother was a musical director of the, uh, of the music there. But they had, like, a fantastic oh. jazz club and they'd get all the... Uh, visiting American artists coming over and in fact um, David Bowie before he was even David Bowie um, played there um, with one of his early bands so uh, you know there was really no other route for me my my house I was brought up in was just wall-to-wall music the whole time and I never really wanted to do anything else yeah and, uh, and actually you just mentioned there about about David Bowie and um, in fact your your sort of latest projects actually been going a few years hasn't it uh, where you you're, you're, you're taking the David body, sorry, David Bowie body of work and you're, you're sort of reinterpreting things, you're rearranging um, things. Um, his, his, very, his songs, of course, uh, will stand the test of time. Um, just tell us a little bit about that, about, about why, you know, why David Bowie for, for a start? Oh, I think, you know, growing up in Wembley and sort of realising at the age of 13 that I might be gay and then not having any sort of I don't want to say support network, but no, um, nobody to look at that kind of, I felt very outside of things and, and Bowie just kind of filled that space for me. I, I just thought, wow, um, he's incredible and you could just be a little bit different and it not be a, not be an issue. So I think it's really was that combination of sort of coming out and um, just looking for role models that I felt comfortable with. And then of course his music is fantastic. So it was that combination really. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you actually about about sort of why David Bowie in particular did speak. It does seem to speak to the LGBT um, community. Um, so, so why why do you think that is? is that he he never um, shied away from being who he was and just experimented with um, different personas, you know. And I think uh, that just made me me feel comfortable. Like I could I could be who I was, you know, even though. It was uh, not the kind of environment that was very supportive of, um, you know, of young gay people at the time. And and so uh, I actually just I was going to ask you this at the end, but just seems we're sort of on that subject. I mean, did you have any other um, kind of LGBTQ uh, heroes and heroines then to look to when you were sort of coming out and through that process? You know, apart from Bowie, is there anyone else that you particularly, you know, revered, as it were? Oh. Well, I think more, more so we were sort of in a time when, although, you know, Clause 28 was going on, there were TV programmes starting to be made. I don't know if you remember Out on Tuesday, 
and I used to s sneak upstairs and, and try and watch that and just learn a bit about gay culture so I think it was sort of a rather than particular people I think there was there were the books that I was reading you know I tried to read uh, books with lesbian characters and um, you know I'd always buy um, what was the newspaper back then well, I can't can't remember must have been the pink paper you know I'd, I'd go, oh, yeah, I'd go yeah. up to I mean I was going up to Soho in London when I was very young and just immersing myself in gay culture that way so I mean I, yeah. I feel like I was lucky because that was yeah. on my doorstep and I could get out of suburban Wembley and head up uh, head up the yeah. West End as we used to call it and um, so that was more I, more than the kind of influences for me. I love that I love that phrase where you said you sort of snuck upstairs and, <laughs> and <Yeah>. watched that <laughs> because that I remember myself you know reading sort of you know I was I'm possibly a little bit younger than you but I remember sort of reading you know Jeanette Winterson's you know Orange is Not the Only Fruit yeah and you know I was I was sort of brought up Christian, and so that was a sort of you know devilishly terrible book to read, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Reading it, you know, under the covers, kind of thing. Um, yeah, I quite like that image of you running upstairs and, and watching. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and it's making sure nobody came in to see what I was watching. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and also, I was just going to ask. So back to the Walter Wall Bowie project, then. Mm. Um, you're you're working with um, David McCalman and Sue, uh, sorry, Sam Obernick on, on that. And they're two yeah. um, singer-songwriters themselves, aren't they? Um, yeah. And I just wondered uh, what, you know, what sort of made the, the musical chemistry, as it were, between the three of you, because obviously you're the, the musical director, but was, what was it about those two people that made you think, right, these are the right people for, for doing these David Bowie songs? Well, I think you know if you're gonna if you're gonna attempt to do something different with David Bowie, you need you need people that have unique personalities and unique singing styles, and and those two definitely have that um, you know huge amounts. David is such a uh, I don't know if you've ever seen him live, but he's actually quite a raconteur and really immerses himself in the history of music. You know, he's very very knowledgeable, but his performance he. You know, he's just an incredible uh, person to watch. And the same with Sam, you know, she's a very yeah. experienced uh, performer from being on the dance scene. But to, just to visually look at her, she is quite, um, you, you know, amazing to watch. Um, so yeah, it just her, yeah. it just fitted really, really well, um, you know, with the whole concept of it, which was to just take Bowie somewhere else and, and make it our own, you know, but also be very respectful of the music and I think I think we have a kind of achieved that with what we've been doing yeah what, what do you what do you sort of look for then when you're embarking on on a, a kind of musical project such as the Walter Wallberry what are you looking for I'm just do, looking for achieve, I mean I'm looking to I guess it's it's no different to what's been going on for a long time um, one of the remits always of, of jazz and I wasn't I wouldn't say this is pure jazz what I'm doing but it's been to take the music of the time and just do your own thing with it and there's that's been going on since you know the 1950s that people have been taking the current music of the day um, so, um, and uh, which would have been you know songs from the musicals back then and and just doing your own thing with it just just taking another angle another look at it it's like having a camera and just and just taking it putting up putting another yeah. lens on the music yeah um, yes yeah. so I look for <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And and that then, you then draw in the audience in a different way because they know the songs, but they suddenly go, oh, I never thought of it in that way or I never heard the lyric 
because you present the lyrics in a different light, you know. So um, it's it's interesting to, to do that because you, you've got them on your side anyway, in a way, because they know the songs. Yeah. And then, sure. um, you know, and you just hope that they'll take take a different journey with you. And, and this is a bit of a philosophical question, actually, um, mm. Jeanette, but, you know, interpreter, you're, you're a great interpreter, so you, you're, you're, you're essentially, you're interpreting the songs and you're, you're putting your own um, sort of kudos on them, as it were. Um, mm. what, 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 what causes that? Is that inspiration or is that experience? I think it's, uh, I think I've answered this question quite quite a, a bit lately and I think I've kind of worked out exactly what it is and um, it's really that five minutes of inspiration I never set out with a plan with a song I'll just sit with it it's a bit like I don't know um, maybe it's a bit like modeling uh, with clay or something I'll just sit with it a bit and just see what happens and then once you've done that that's when the kind of hard work of really shaping it into something else um, starts but you need that five minutes of inspiration you think well actually what if I do this and I pull this a bit that way and I push that what will happen um, yeah so really with those the songs um, on the current EP it was really that process of just allowing myself to be open to where they wanted to go yeah that's that's really in I found that really interesting actually so there's sort of like an initial inspiration period and then you bring your great experience to bear as it were um yeah you know it's on it yeah I, I find that incredibly yeah I just find that really very interesting um anyway what I was actually going to ask you was uh so if you were to if you were to have the access to anyone at this moment you thought right I'd love to collaborate with them and and write a project with them or you know or, or work with them who would that who would that be Wow, that is well, a really maybe. difficult question. Um, well, I think I've really, most of the people I probably really would have liked, loved to have worked with uh, in the past, you know, Prince is another one of my heroes, and I would have yeah, loved the opportunity to play with him. But to be honest, I've been very lucky in the last year because I, I have started to work with uh, Tony Visconti, who is Bowie's producer. So in yes, a way, yeah. for me, um, that kind of has come full circle in as much as I am now working with the source of some of the material that I really love. So I, I kind of feel like that's almost happened for me, that I'm, I'm now going out on the road and playing with uh, these these two incredible musicians who, who are directly connected to Bowie. So that's, I, I yeah. guess that's, for me, that's that's kind of happened now. Yeah, what a great, what a great way to uh, <laughs> to end this interview on unfortunately i've been texted to say oh you've run out of time um oh. but uh i know i could talk for a long time about such things um but just give us a quick uh summary about where we can where, where we as the public as it were um can come and watch uh the project wall to wall bowie or how can we buy the music sure the, the music's ready now on Bandcamp. you can pre-order it so the five track ep is there and I'm really happy to say that we've got our first gig um, at Ronnie Scott's with the Waterwall Bowie Project on August 10th. So that's Ronnie Scott's Hooray. in London. A few tickets yeah. left, so please Hooray. get down there and uh, come wow. and see us play. Sounds great. Well, Jeanette Mason, thank you so much for uh, joining us on Shout Out um, today. 
We're really grateful for you speaking to us. I was a bit overwhelmed, really, when I thought when I was going to interview you. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh brilliant. So You've been brilliant. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, thank you so much. Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. This on is back. That's uh, Jeanette Mason. And uh, yeah, wonderful song that one. Uh, that's uh, the Gene Genie. Um, apologies, um, I think I pronounced your name uh, but with the emphasis the wrong way around earlier. It's Jeanette, isn't it? Not Janet, as I think I might have said. I do apologise. Well, it'll be like Steph. <laughs> that is my name. <laughs> Barnetta. You just like having like redundancy, don't you? That's that's what it is, really. <laughs> I like I like twos, okay. I like doubling up. It's those extra, extra twos make all the, the difference. Of course they do. Yes. Oh. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I was I was mesmerised trying to figure out whether Matthew would actually be a Matt Thew. Technically, yeah, I guess. Always a Matthew. Always yeah, a Matthew. Always a Matthew. Yeah, but it's double T, isn't it? So it's like... Bat- it is, yes, very few. important. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're going to carry on our queerstry uh, this week. And it's so big, um, it's obviously taken more than one. But uh, here is part two. Hello and welcome back to Queer Story. In my last episode, I went right back to the start of LGBTQIA plus history, and that takes a little bit of time to cover. So welcome back to part two. came to an end last time with the LGBTQIA plus history within Greece and Rome, which was very interesting to say the least. Today I'm going to get straight back to it, so let's start with the Middle Ages. And this was where same-sex scholarly empires of the mind were common in medieval Middle Eastern cultures. There were same-sex Christian communities and other religious orders in which homosexuality thrived. Through in-depth research, it has been proved that the Roman Catholic Church had not condemned gay people throughout its history, but rather, at least into the 12th century, had had no special concerns about and actually celebrated love between men. Wild, eh? I don't know about you, but that blows my mind, considering where we are now with worldwide perceptions of LGBTQIA plus people and the fight we still have for equality. Boswell, the author of Same-Sex Unions in Pre-Modern Europe, argued that the liturgy was evidence that attitudes of the Christian church towards homosexuality has changed over time, and that early Christians did on occasion accept same-sex relationships. His work attracted great controversy, as it was seen by many as merely an attempt for Boswell to justify his homosexuality and Roman Catholic faith. The history of same-sex relations between women in medieval and early modern Europe is exceedingly difficult to study, but there can be no doubt of its existence. Church leaders worried about lesbian sex, women expressed, practised and were sometimes imprisoned or even executed for same-sex love, and some women cross-dressed in order to live with other women as married couples. 
They go on to note that even the seemingly modern word lesbian has been traced back as far as 1732 and discuss lesbian subcultures but add... Nevertheless, we certainly should not equate the single state with lesbian practices, while same-sex relationships among men were highly documented and condemned. And so, persecutions against homosexuality rose during the High Middle Ages, reaching their height during the medieval inquisitions, when the sects of Cathars were accused of fornication and sodomy, alongside accusations of Satanism. In 1307, accusations of sodomy and homosexuality were major charges. Levelled during the trial of the Knights Templar, the theologian Thomas Aquinas was influential in linking condemnations of homosexuality with the idea of natural law, arguing that special sins are against nature as, for instance, those that run counter to the intercourse of male and female, natural to animals, and so are peculiarly qualified as unnatural vices. Now moving on to the Renaissance, where we saw intense oppression of homosexual relationships by the Roman Catholic Church. Homosexual activity radically passes from being completely legal in most of Europe to incurring the death penalty in most European states. And in France, first offending sodomites lost their testicles, second offenders lost their penis and third offenders were burned. Women caught in same-sex acts would be mutilated and sometimes executed as well. Thomas Aquinas argued that sodomy was second only to murder in the ranking of sins. The church used every means at its disposal to fight what it considered to be the corruption of sodomy. Men were fined or jailed, boys were flogged. The harshest punishments, such as burning at the stake, were usually reserved for crimes committed against the very young or by violence. The Spanish Inquisition begins in 1480. Sodomites were stoned, castrated and burned. And between 1540 and 1700, more than 1,600 people were prosecuted for sodomy. In 1532, the Holy Roman Empire made sodomy punishable by death. The following year, King Henry passed the Buggery Act 1533, making all male-to-male sexual activity punishable by death. An addendum to the terminology of homosexuality is the seemingly ever-changing acronym, with its roots in the 1980s when female homosexuals began to identify themselves as lesbians instead of gay. This led to references of gay and lesbian every time homosexuality was discussed in the media. Non-heterosexuals such as bisexual people and those who are transgender have also been classed alongside gay people and lesbians resulting in the popular LGBT acronym, lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender. However, the acronym is not set in stone. It sometimes appears as LGBTQ to include questioning or queer people, while letters I for intersex and A for asexual, etc. have also sometimes been added, reflecting other sexual identities. The acronym LGBTQIA plus is another commonly used term to denote the expansive diversity of sexual orientations, identity Entities and expressions. And now on to homosexuality in Great Britain. Following the codification of anti-sodomy laws with the Buggery Act of 1533, homosexual sex and relationships were greatly looked down upon civilly prosecuted. Although Section 61 of the Offences Against the Person Act 1861 removed the death penalty for homosexuality, male homosexuality acts remained illegal and were punishable by imprisonment. In contrast, lesbian relationships were frequently overlooked and legal codes that targeted homosexuality often did not include sapphic love. In 
In one Scottish court case, a judge deemed sexual relationships between two women imaginary. Only in cases where women broke gender roles and crossed into masculine realms were punished with public whippings and banishment much less severe than their gay male counterparts. Molly houses appeared in 18th century London and other large cities. A molly house is an archaic 18th century English term for a tavern or private room where homosexual and cross-dressing men could meet each other and possible sexual partners. Patrons of the Molly House would sometimes enact mock weddings, sometimes with the bride giving birth. Margaret Clapp, better known as Mother Clapp, ran such a Molly House from 1724 to 1726 in Holborn, London. She was also heavily involved in the ensuing legal battles after her premises were raided by the police and shut down. Molly Houses were perhaps the first precursors to the modern gay bar. In the 19th and 20th centuries, male commentary on lesbian relationships became more common and increasingly eroticised. The publication of Anne Lister's diaries revealed that, as early as 1820, educated women had covert sexual and romantic relationships with other women, often while married to men and presenting as close female relationships. Intensely emotional friendships between women were normal in England, making it difficult for scholars to definitely identify same-sex relationships. However, modern scholars suspect, suspect that lesbian subscripts exist within much of the literature published by women, as female characters yearn romantically after one another, but that passion is silenced. This is reflected by a large body of same-sex love poetry, which was written by many women. There is still so much more I could share about LGBTQIA plus history, but it really could go on forever. And so to bring this episode to a close, I want to reflect on the fact that it has only just been over 50 years since homosexuality was decriminalised in the UK. It's a commonly held misconception that the 1967 Act legalised male homosexuality but it didn't. It partially decriminalised it under certain conditions. In the years that followed, gay sexuality was policed more aggressively than before, and the number of men arrested for breaching those conditions actually rose considerably. As research conducted by Peter Tatchell recently found, in 1966 some 420 men were convicted of the gay crime of gross indecency. By 1974, that number had soared by more than 300% to over 1,700 convictions. I'm not saying that the 1967 Act wasn't revolutionary. In many, many ways it was, but it was also very limited. It allowed the law to go on punishing us for things heterosexuals took for granted. The freedom to have sex at 16, the freedom to express our love in public, the freedom for people to just be themselves. But if the criminalisation of homosexuality feels like ancient history, it shouldn't. The ripples of homophobic legislation are still being felt by the LGBTQIA plus community, who are, depending on the study, between two and ten more times likely than straight people to take their own lives. The kind of stigma that comes with being treated as second-class citizens takes a very, very long time to recover from. Few could have predicted or even dared to aspire to the sea change that has taken place in Britain in the last 50 years. It is almost incomprehensible to imagine the fear and shame of being forced by law to hide who you are. It's completely right that we should, celebra we should celebrate how far we've come, but it's also important never to lose sight of how far we still have to go. 
And that's it for now. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to tune in to Shout Out every Thursday evening from 7 to 8pm on BCFM or listen back at a later date via many different podcast providers. If you have any feedback, please tweet the show at shoutout underscore radio. Bye for now. information about Shoutout Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shoutout. LGBT Radio for you. The Shoutout Podcast. Oh, I learned that one for a while. That's uh, Katrina and the Waves. And I love Shine the Lights. <laughs> if you've been watching Eurovision, that was the last time we won. Um, it that was, was a stonking long time ago, wasn't it, Andy? Uh, it was. It was 24 years ago, back in 1997. Oh, when Steffi was only 60. I was quiet. that far back. You're very I quiet tonight, I that far back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the fun! Anyway, what a hell of a packed show! Um, and yeah, as yeah. you heard it, heard it there in the news. I'm ever so sorry, but yeah, it is genuinely true. Uh, Bristol Pride this year has now officially been um, uh, cancelled, um, and we're really upset because we were so looking forward to it. But um, um, you know us, we will be back with them um, next year when um, hopefully COVID things will be um, well and truly behind us. Yes. Well, I was slightly um, intrigued because they used the word postponed, didn't they? They didn't actually say cancel, they say postponed. Oh, did they? Matthew. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. So that yeah, probably gives know. them the option. So it's all depends on the purpose. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing in July is cancelled, but it does yeah. give them the option maybe to do something a little, a little bit later in the year. Who it, knows? If you think that um, there's a lot of uh, people paid to be part of that, um, uh, storeholders, um, people and companies who sponsored the, uh, the march, and like you say postponed so it could happen after the lockdown eases in middle of july and uh, who knows Ooh, it could go prize. ahead in um it could go ahead in august september well, i'm sure we'll get an announcement from them in due yep, course if they're planning I'm something sure. yeah mm, keep our fingers crossed for them anyway absolutely yeah. yeah well well whatever happens hopefully we'll be with them broadcasting which um uh, is always lovely yeah. um able to reach out to those that aren't able to make it down so um and unfortunately there's still a lot of people who can't come out and can't come to it so it's always really nice to be able to reach out to them so and i hope the weather holds out we've got thunderstorms next fingers few days crossed. uh just uh, yeah. uh if, if you haven't uh, checked your weather forecast might be worth doing Tie your britches yeah. down, Steph. Um, yeah, they're tied down, don't you worry. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's it for today's show. Uh, to find out more about us or to hear any of our other shows, do check us out online. Shoutoutradio.lgbt is the place to head to. Also, if you'd like to get involved in the show, you'll find ways to contact us there too. Uh, next week, we're taking a look at Pride in Education. Um, but from myself and the lovely double Stephifer, Andy and Matthew, I won't dare with Matthew, it's always Matthew. Uh, say bye bye, everyone. Bye bye. Shout out. LGBT radio for you.